You're listening to the Dead Presidents Podcast. And this is the Top 5 Presidential Pardons. Hello, I'm Stephen Lincoln Douglas. And I'm James J. Hamilton. And you're listening to the Dead Presidents Podcast. Today we have... I beg your pardon, Jim. But we got a little bit of a top five we gotta do. Indeed we do. A top five about presidential forgiveness. Yeah. To forgive is divine, correct? That's right. I believe that's what they or, say. To forgive is presidential. Perhaps it is. As in the presidential pardoning power. Lots of very important pardons in our nation's history. We have five of them for you today. It's the top five presidential pardons. Number five. Washington pardons the Whiskey Rebels. The Whiskey Rebellion of 1794 disintegrated before the Federal Army marching down toward western Pennsylvania, as you recall from episode one. Most of the prominent leaders of the rebellion fled into the hills, disappearing Away from Treasury Secretary Alexander Hamilton, who was also acting War Secretary, who came over with the army to round up some people and try to make an example out of them. On scene. Yep. He really wanted to get Albert Gallatin, who uh, would later become Treasury Secretary under Jefferson and Madison, who was a big uh, enemy of Hamilton at the time. He wanted to pin something on Gallatin who was against the whiskey tax, but not in favor of the rebellion, so he couldn't get Gallatin. And really, they couldn't get anybody big at all. Hamilton, they rounded up some people, tried to get people to inform on each other, held some people without evidence. But they didn't get any of the top leaders, and they couldn't really pin anything on anybody. But they did take 20 dudes back to Philadelphia, I think, from Western Pennsylvania, and uh, or rather 20 people were indicted for treason. Ten of them stood trial, and these were all, like, secondary people, not yeah, the top leaders. They didn't get the, the ringleaders. No, and they had evidence problems and lack of witnesses, so only two guys were convicted of treason and sentenced to hang Philip Wiggle, who had beaten up a federal tax collector and participated in the burning of his house, and John Mitchell, who had robbed the U.S. mail in relation to the rebellion. Yeah, I mean, and the, just to reiterate, these are just, these aren't the main instigators. These aren't the ringleaders. These are people that participated in their own fashion and happened to get caught. Yeah. So they're not really the kind of guys that you want to make an example of. And that's what President Washington felt. He felt like, we won. 
we crushed this rebellion pretty easily. The federal government has made its point. We've asserted our authority to enforce our tax laws. And the, the federal government enjoyed, you know, a spike in popularity after their very forceful handling of the rebellion. They really showed that they were worth their stuff. And Washington didn't want to, uh, you know, spike the football in the uh, rebels' faces and felt like he could go too far and probably get a backlash if they executed these guys. So, for the first time ever, the president pardoned some people. Just one more precedent under old Washington's belt. And this is a, you know, it's a good precedent that was continued to be followed you know, pardoning people who may have committed treason, tried to overthrow the U.S. government in a way. But now once the danger's passed, you can uh, exercise some forgiveness and let some people off. Yeah, I'd have hung them. Well, that's why you're not George Washington. That's right. Washington explained the pardons in his State of the Union address saying, The misled have abandoned their errors, for though I shall always think it a sacred duty to exercise with firmness and energy the constitutional powers with which I am vested, yet it appears to me no less consistent with the public good than it is with my personal feelings to mingle in the operations of government every degree of moderation and tenderness which the national justice, dignity, and safety may permit. Wise. Indeed. Philip Wiggle now today has a Pittsburgh whiskey distillery named after him, Wiggle Whiskey, in honor of the rebellion. Good yeah. whiskey. And on this note, also honorable mention to John Adams, who later pardoned David Bradford, who was one of the major whiskey rebellion leaders. He escaped at the time. Yeah, he squirreled away. And Adams later pardoned him. And Adams also pardoned the leaders of Fry's Rebellion. Right. The we seven- talked about Jacob Fry's yeah. a little bit. 1799 tax revolt in eastern Pennsylvania following the Washington precedent of pardoning rebels after their rebellion falls apart. We might hear more of that later in the top five as well. That's a distinct possibility. As we proceed with the top five presidential pardons. Number four. Jefferson pardons Sedition Act violators. In 1798, during the anti-French hysteria of the Quasi-War, John Adams signed into law the controversial Alien and Sedition Acts. The Sedition Act made it a crime to publish scandalous and malicious writings against the government of the United States, Congress, or the President with intent to defame or to bring them into contempt or disrepute or to excite against them the hatred of the good people of the United States. Some prominent anti-administration newspaper editors were prosecuted, including James T. Callender, who we've spoken of, and Benjamin Franklin Bach. The Jeffersonian Republicans denounced the Sedition Act as unconstitutional. Jefferson and Madison drafted the Virginia and Kentucky resolutions against it, and it became a major campaign issue in 1800 that contributed to Adams' defeat. 
The Sedition Act expired at the end of Adams' term. Upon assuming the presidency, Jefferson promptly pardoned all Sedition Act violators, and Congress repaid their fines. Cool. It's another good uh, pardoning precedent or use of the pardon power when a, a new president believes a previous law was unconstitutional or inappropriate, he can let people off the hook. Right. I think probably James T. Callender, one of the uh, most ungrateful yeah. <laughs> in the history of presidential pardon recipients, right. I'm sure. Yeah. As you may recall from the Jefferson yeah. episode. Yeah, we, we can't do it. He, top five on that because everybody, it's a spoiler alert. It's him, number yeah. one. He, um, yeah, he wanted not only a pardon, he wanted a government job as well. And when he didn't get it, he published the Sally Hemings accusation against Jefferson. So that's what Jefferson gets for pardoning a guy. There it is. No. We, we, we also have an honorable mention, uh, for the Sedition Act of 1918, passed during World War One. Uh, 2,000 people were convicted under this. And many were pardoned by Warren Harding and Calvin Coolidge. The rest eventually pardoned by Franklin Roosevelt. Yep. So Woodrow Wilson following the Adams precedent of making a sedition a crime during war and then later presidents following Jefferson in letting everyone off the hook for it. Yep. And that's going to bring us to the top five presidential pardons. Number three. Carter pardons draft Dodgers. In another post-war scenario, over 200,000 people dodged the draft during the Vietnam War. Maybe as many as 100,000 of them fled the country, mostly to Canada. In 1974, President Ford offered a conditional amnesty to draft dodgers who had not yet been convicted, the condition being that they complete two years of public service. Not not very uh, robust as a uh, amnesty. A lot of strings attached. Right. What do you but, think? Is that fair? Well, I mean, I guess so. It's more fair than convicting them and jailing well, them what's for fair? It. I mean, that's what this comes down to. With the, anything yeah, well, draft-related, it's like, well, shit. Yeah, it's a tough, tough thing. Jimmy Carter thought it was fair to unconditionally pardon everyone, and that's what he promised during his campaign and beat Ford in that election. Right. And on January 21st, 1977, Carter's second day in office, he fulfilled that promise by unconditionally pardoning all Vietnam draft dodgers, extending to all violators of the Selective Service Act, but not including deserters or the dishonorably discharged or those who were convicted of violent protests. Right. And let's let's be clear. Jimmy Carter was a veteran. Yeah, he served in the Navy, so he knows what it's like. He called it the, quote, single hardest decision of his campaign. But he said that reconciliation calls for an act of mercy to bind the nation's wounds and to heal the scars of divisiveness. A a religious man, Mm -hmm. Jimmy Carter, very guided by faith. 
I think, uh, more so than many, uh, Jimmy Carter is, uh, guided by faith. Just, yeah. Just a decent man. Yeah. He, yeah. For better or worse. Right. You know? And, of course, you know, this kind of attitude would lead to Arizona Senator Barry Goldwater calling it the most disgraceful thing that a president has ever done. Might be a little bit of a uh, overstatement by Barry Goldwater right there. Well, I mean, he was, you know, never known for not being radical. Honorable mention on this topic also to Harry Truman, who pardoned 1,500 people for violating the Selective Service Act during World War II. Most of those getting pardons were conscientious objectors who opposed war for religious reasons. Yeah. I don't think there was as big of a draft dodging movement across the country in World War II as in Vietnam. No. No, and but, you know, again, still, still some controversy. Yeah, and we're about to tip the scales on the controversy factor as we come to the top five presidential pardons. Number two, Andy Johnson pardons Confederates. Robert E. Lee surrendered to Ulysses S. Grant at Appomattox Courthouse on April 10th, 1865. Five days later, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated and Andrew Johnson became president. This is something that nobody saw coming. No. That nobody wanted to happen. It was... Just a... His, his position on the ticket was a balance. He was the only only Southern Democrat to remain loyal to the Union. Yep, and this was just about, uh, just over a month after Andrew Johnson got hammered, trashed, and embarrassed himself. As we himself have talked about before. On episode one's Top 5 Drunkest Presidents, number yep. three, Andrew Johnson. Yep. So now, Johnson's president, a Southern Democrat. <sighs> People are wigged out. Lincoln had promoted a policy of amnesty for former Confederates, which Johnson, I would probably say, albeit reluctantly, continued. In May 1865, Johnson proclaimed a general amnesty for Confederates who took an oath of allegiance to the United States with significant exceptions that excluded Confederate government officials high-ranking military officers, and anyone worth over $20,000, all of whom would have to apply for their own separate pardons. Within a year, over 12,000 pardons were granted, mostly to people worth over $20,000. In January 1867, Johnson announced additional pardons to hundreds of high-ranking Confederate officers and government officials. Finally, on Christmas Day 1868, Johnson issued an unconditional pardon for all remaining rebels, including Confederate President Jefferson Davis and Vice President Alexander Stevens. Now, the reason I said, albeit reluctantly, 
Johnson's belief was that kill him, kill them all. Yeah. Hang them. Yeah, I think he started off reluctant in this policy and wanted to he, be harsher. I, I, he felt forced into it, I think. Yeah. I think he felt like he, well, I have to carry on the Lincoln administration. Yeah. Probably at first, but then by a few years later when he's issuing the final pardons, I think by that time he's almost, he has his eye on maybe getting elected to a term in his own right and he needs to win the South. So he needs to yeah. get uh, some Southerners on board with him because he ended up being not as uh, cooperative with Republican policy as he well, started to say off the least. being. I mean, that's a, that's an understatement. Obviously, I mean, he gets impeached. Yeah, he gets totally overlooked in terms of any potential hope of. Running again in his own right. Yeah, I don't think he no chance. didn't get nominated by either no. party. No. no chance, no. No, they were going to nominate Ulysses Grant. That's it. And speaking of nominating Ulysses Grant, why don't we give him a little honorable mention as yeah. well here? Because uh, as commanding general... Upon Lee's surrender, he gave Confederate soldiers safe conduct to return to their homes. As president, Grant signed the Amnesty Act of 1872, which removed disqualifications against holding public office from all but 500 former Confederates. Now, those must have been the nasty ones. Yeah, I'm not sure who they were or why they had that disqualification, because I know, like... At least Alexander Stevens was in Congress, I think, yep. and became governor of Georgia again. So yep. a lot of high-ranking Confederates served in Congress. Yeah, and other they were relatively – I don't want to say unaffected. I'm sure they were affected, but at the same time, well, a lot of people got to their carry on. Right. Their constituents who were voting for them are the same people who wanted to secede from the Union to begin with. That's it. Craziness. Indeed. And that's going to bring us to the top five presidential pardon. Number one. Ford pardons Nixon. This pardon has presidents on both sides of the trade. Yeah. And this, is, guess, probably the, this is probably the most controversial one. Yeah, it was pretty controversial. I mean, I totally agree with it myself. I'll just state that right off the bat. I agree with it. I think, I think Ford did of, the right thing in pardoning yeah. Nixon. I think probably most people would agree with that now. It was just a real bitter pill to swallow for a lot of people at the sure. time. I can understand that. But at the same time, you got to put the best interest of the nation first. Yeah. There was a lot of shit to yeah. <laughs> cipher through there. It's like, yeah, Nixon was bad, but was he worse than Jefferson Davis, who we pardoned? Yeah. So, August 9th, 1974, Richard Nixon resigned, Gerald Ford became president, Congress abandoned its impeachment proceedings after the resignation, but criminal prosecution was still a possibility. So, September 8th, 1974, just a month after the resignation, 
Gerald Ford granted Nixon a full and unconditional pardon for any crimes against the United States he may have committed as president. A full, free, and absolute pardon. Big deal. Ford spoke to the American people explaining his decision. He said, It is not the ultimate fate of Richard Nixon that most concerns me, though surely it deeply troubles every decent and every compassionate person. My concern is the immediate future of this great country. My conscience tells me clearly and certainly that I cannot prolong the bad dreams that continue to reopen a chapter that is closed. My conscience tells me that only I, as president, have the constitutional power to firmly shut and seal this book. My conscience tells me it is my duty not merely to proclaim domestic tranquility, but to use every means that I have to ensure it. As we said, very controversial. Mm. There were allegations of some corrupt bargain, like Nixon had agreed to resign on in exchange for Ford agreeing to pardon him, but there's never really any evidence of that. Ford's press secretary resigned in protest over the pardon. Ford's approval rating dropped from 71% to 50%. Yeah. And that was considered to be a major factor in his defeat at the hands of Jimmy Carter a couple years later. Sure. And it absolutely was. And mm. unfairly, yeah. if I'm honest, I, th I think that in all honesty and from a completely objective standpoint, that was the best course of action. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the most... Obviously, the most recent or modern example of kind of the theme of a lot of these pardons, which is it's more important for the nation to move on right. than it is to punish particular people. Exactly. And uh, maybe uh, history has kind of warmed up to Ford on this. Yeah, in 2001, uh, Ted Kennedy presented of all people the john f kennedy profile in courage award to gerald ford because of his pardon of nixon and ted kennedy said that he initially opposed the pardon but that history had proven it to be the right decision and i think if you it, now you got to understand how diametrically opposed these two people would have been so for ted kennedy to say something like that mm. There's definitely some just what should be common knowledge behind the fact that yeah, Gerald Ford did the right thing. A true blue Democrat like Ted Kennedy and also the Kennedy family had their yeah. you know rivalry with Nixon. So if Ted Kennedy thought it was okay in the long run, it probably wasn't that bad. Well, it, you know, it's just somebody like Ted Kennedy to say that is just more proof that, you know, it was the right thing to do. And uh, mm -hmm. what do you think, Jim? Were these pardons all across the board the right thing to do? I think they all were. I, mean, I think so, too. I made a joke about hanging them earlier, but, yeah, you know. Yeah, I don't see how the nation would have been better off 
you know, going through the effort of punishing. I mean, some of the things would have been just nonsensical. I mean, you know, who would remember the names of the whiskey rebels that were hung? Well, who would have remembered the names of the sedition act violators that were hung or jailed for life? You know what I mean? Well, sedition act, they weren't jailed for life. I think actually I read one of one of the guys got 18 months and that was the harshest punishment. Huh. So actually most of the uh, Sedition Act guys, their punishments were already over by the time they were pardoned, but it was yeah. more symbolic. And yeah, we might remember the names of the Whiskey Rebellion guys if they had been hanged because they probably would have become a, a rallying point for more rebellion. So I think probably all these pardons are good in the long run of history as as a way of the country moving on yeah. past difficult times. And times can sure be difficult. Indeed. Listeners, has someone committed treason against you in your life? Or have you committed treason against someone else? In any treasonable event... The most presidential thing to do might just be to forgive. To forgive and move on. Just like we're going to move on to the next episode of the Dead Presidents Podcast.